uh, one of my favorite mottos is, you know, focus creates wealth and diversification preserves it. You know, we're focused as Josh and I, as founders, we got people much smarter than us helping with operations and process and supporting the franchisees. And we're really focused on the beginning part of the process on how do we find, vet, and partner with the best possible franchisees and bring them on with the best expectations to make sure that we're going to have a long, healthy relationship as partners. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey, everyone. It's the Wolf. Today in the show, we have Zach Butler of Horsepower Brands. Zach co-founded this company in 2019, and today they own a controlling interest in eight home services franchises. They've created an innovative model in which they have shared services that every single brand gets to access. Zach shares his personal story as a third-generation entrepreneur and how that led him into franchising. And he also gives us a lot of insight as to how they've built horsepower to what it is today and what their plans are for the future. This is an awesome episode, and Zach's a super cool guy to listen to. I think you're going to enjoy this one. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. I know Horsepower started in 2019. So to kick off, like I know at that point you had a ton of experience in franchising before you and your co-founder started Horsepower, but can you kind of just give you know, that's a rundown of, of what you were up to and what you and uh, Josh, your co-founder, had accomplished before that point. Yeah. So I've been in franchising most of my adult life. But before that, I'd say I'm a third generation entrepreneur. And so my favorite story to tell to our franchisees and to other entrepreneurs is I know how I became an entrepreneur. And it's really through legacy. My, my grandpa bought a livestock auction barn for $1 in 1969. And uh, he somehow by chance took on the liability he built that business up in the 70s and 80s to a multi-million dollar business in a very small town in Nebraska. And my dad grew up in that business and now runs it. My uncle grew up in that business, now has his own livestock marketing company called Livestock Digital. His son and I, my cousin, we both got pulled out of schools on Tuesdays to help with the sales. And today, my cousin owns the large animal vet practice in town. I have horsepower, our beefy commerce business and our farm and that, you know, that one decision really led us down a path where I can't imagine working for anybody else ever and uh, just not wired that way. Yeah. Before we move on, it's actually just super interesting. I mean, did you say I'm a Jersey guy? So like Northeast, not many farms in Northern New Jersey, if any. You say he bought a barn for $1 or like a livestock barn? It's called a livestock auction service. So it's essentially a a facility where people bring their livestock in and they get auctioned off to the public. Like cows. Cows, hogs. So back they had pigs and hogs back in the day. Why would people buy those? To like kill them and eat them for burgers? Well, let's say that you raise, you get a farm and you raise pigs. The pigs get to a certain yeah. level. You bring them in to sell them to the public where somebody else buys them to feed them and then finish them out to the butcher, et cetera. Oh. Uh, or you bring a cow in, you bring some cows and calves or 
if you ever want to sell your livestock, you have to have a place to go sell them. And that's really what the livestock auction barns are. Oh, so your grandpa was like basically like a broker almost for like, kind of, yeah. you know, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Wow, that's he cool. In the facility and helped recruit the cattle and the hogs to their place and then recruited people to come in and buy them. And they have an, like, it's like a live auction. It's pretty cool. If you've never been to one, it's kind of an experience. And is that still operation? Is that still a thing today? Or is there like some technology platform that does the work? There is technology that does it, but it it still operates today. They've made barely any capital improvements probably since the 80s. No internet, no okay. computing. They still have rotary phones in some of the barns, believe it or not. Holy crap. I work, so I now started working out of one of the parts of that building. It's my favorite place to work. It's dirty, it's grungy, but it's my most <laughs> place probably because it means a lot sentimentally. That's super cool, the family history. All right, well, I got us off track there, but- yeah. You know, uh, back to you and Josh, you know, pre-horsepower. I was the only person in my family that didn't stay in agriculture out of high school. So I moved to Lincoln, went on Nebraska, went to college. And I, by chance, I took a part-time job at a nutrition store called Complete Nutrition. And the backstory there was the gentleman that owned the top grossing GNCs in the country, sold them back, started his own, and uh, just had opened them. And I started as a part-time associate. Well, a few weeks later, I can't remember if somebody quit or got fired, but there was basically no one else to become the manager. And I became the manager by default. And I'll never forget, I asked, how much does a manager make? And they said $80,000 when I was 18. And this is almost 20 years ago. And I was like, oh, I'm the manager today. And <laughs> there was five corporate stores. I was open to close most of the nights and you know, built that up into one of the best stores that we had. And a few years later, the founder's nephew franchised the first location. And I thought, gosh, I'm good at this. I should go do that. Well, I had saved up about $20,000 and I went to the founder. I had this idea of like, I'm going to get him to, you know, either co-sign this be alone or be my financing partner. And I remember I said, uh, you, know, you can make this much money on me as a manager, or you can let me hire somebody for cheaper and go be a franchisee. And before I even got much out, he goes, I'm in, let's do it. So he co-signed an SPE nice. alone. I moved to Tallahassee, Florida when I was 21 and opened my first franchise. Oh. And Damn. it was awesome. One point, like 1.3 million first year open, bottom Mercedes, you know, never had money <laughs> really growing up. And uh, been in yeah. the, within, opened the first location, just a young, dumb kid. And within three years, I had seven locations in Florida. I had opened four and acquired three lower performing ones and about that first eight months, we were on this trajectory to do around $8 million in sales. And that's interesting when you look at the weight loss industry, two things happen when you sell products. They buy it and it works and they don't buy it again, or they buy it and it doesn't work and they don't buy it again. And so uh, we quickly exhausted our most profitable customer. And at that exact same time, Amazon came in, bodybuilding.com started selling online and we were behind the e-commerce yep. game. I ended up losing everything and filing bankruptcy uh, in my early 20s. And Damn. the real cause, I was personally guaranteed on all my leases for 10 years. And I had two landlords that owned most of the real estate. So I was really screwed. And there was another franchisee at the time who had 10 or ten or 12 or so locations. And we worked out a deal where I could help grow his business with some equity. But in exchange, it was a $23,000 annual distribution, which was very difficult. And we grew that to 68 stores and over 40 million in revenue in a few, I, mean, I think in three years and did that for over the next decade. And ended up getting to the point where just 
writing on the wall was that industry was not going anywhere and sold my equity there. And I got into franchise development and consulting. And the first brand yeah. that I worked with, Monster Tree Service, which is my partner Josh's first franchisor brand. Oh, okay. I know Monster Tree. All right. That's incredible connecting the dots there. I mean, on the bankruptcy situation, I mean, holy crap. That must have been brutal. Did it was tough, but I, you know, my favorite quote is good decisions come from experience and experience comes from bad decisions. I would not be worrying <laughs> like that unless that happened to me. You know, any business that I've ever been associated with or part of has grown at an exponential pace. And if you don't take precautions of how you grow, a lot of things happen. And going through that always made me look farther ahead to understand what things could possibly go wrong that to tank what we're building. So can you walk us through, and I think it's important, I mean, we, we have a lot of, we have a variety of people who listen to this, right? It can be franchisors, franchisees, prospective franchise buyers. But for the buyers and the Zs, you know, who have leases or are thinking of signing leases, I mean, what was that process like in the sense of, I mean, do you have any wiggle room where like maybe the landlord's like, hey, like if you go find me another tenant that I accept, then like, yeah, you're off the lease, but you have to do that work. Or is it like, no, they're going to claim everything regardless because you signed a 10-year lease? So there is wiggle room to an extent. The problem that I ran into is that GGP and Simon owned, I think, six of the seven properties. And you can maybe get out of one, but you try to get out of all of them, it's not going to work. And two of my locations yeah. were in malls, which were extremely high rent, which when we started made a lot of sense because our most profitable customer was weight loss. But after we lost the weight loss, we were getting the more general health and sports nutrition. The margins just weren't there to support that type of rent. And, you know, I had two rock star stores that were in the high rent. And then I had the, all the other ones that were just sucking the cash flow. I really was at a point where I didn't have, I just ran out of money. And uh, working with them, they, it would have been a pretty long process to find a subtenant, but they don't have to release you. And GGP had went through their own bankruptcy and they were not, they were not budget. Damn. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess if maybe a lesson there, if there's an, I think most people that are so focused on getting the right location, but I guess if you could somehow like almost just to, if you want to be extra cautious. I do have some advice for people though. I, you know, so I, yeah. I move the franchisor's site selection company to help negotiate the leases. And looking back and what I know now in franchising is a lot of times the commissions that those companies make are based on a 10-year personal guarantee. And so I didn't have a third-party lawyer review my lease and the franchise board didn't approve the leases at the time either. And so if you're going to be looking at retail or brick and mortar, you know, signing a 10-year lease is very foolish and a shame on me. But also, I mean, you can definitely negotiate the personal guarantee prior to signing. You can sign for a three-year term with, you know, a three-year or, or even a five-year renewal. So there's lots of options and lots of creative things that you can do that are common in the real estate. But with them, they want a 10-year lease and a 10-year personal guarantee. That's a home run slam dunk for the landlord. That's as good as it gets. Well, yeah. Now, like at Horsepower, we review the leases. We do have a third-party company that does help people find real estate. We're not looking at major A or B real estate. It's more off the beat path, but that's one of the things that they're looking for is that we're not willing to over leverage the franchisees to get more, I guess, leverage with them to for more long-term gain, I guess, if that makes sense. Yep. No, it does. Um, that's super good perspective for, for people to hear. I mean, yeah, I think always folks, right? Like whether you're signing a franchise agreement, whether you're reviewing a lease, an operating agreement, what have you, always get a third-party lawyer. Just 
for your own protection. And if there's another party out there that's kind of trying to dissuade you from that, that should be maybe a, a red flag that they might not have your best interests at heart. So yeah, that's really good advice, man. So back to you and Josh. I mean, for folks who don't know, Monster Tree Service, super successful franchise. You know, I know it grew to 200 plus territories by the time Josh, I think it got acquired. But yeah, so did you, were you part of that team early or was it later in the journey? So Josh, when we met, he had just went through this period of time where he had awarded some locations and he has a great story behind it where he would say, hey, I sold a half-baked cake. I didn't know enough about being a franchisor and I didn't have the support. It was me and one guy. And so he paused development for two years. He went and hired a bunch of staff, built this a corporate office, and he was going all in on basically, if we build it, they will come type mentality. And right before we launched, that's where we met. And we met in a pool in Cancun, believe it or not, on a franchise conference. And we basically started off the journey together. And I still remember we got, uh, from a franchise development standpoint, we got no leads, not a single one for 30 days. And uh, I told Josh, I was like, I'm not giving up. So I made a list of every franchise consultant in the country. And I essentially called every single one until we got complaints about harassment. And uh, we put that <laughs> business on in two years. I mean, we, we ordered over 200 locations in I think the next two year period. And then we're very fortunate to have 40 Brains acquire that concept. And so... I'm assuming, right, that there was a lot of maybe things you learned from um, Monster Tree that you decided, hey, like other, because I'm looking at the brands on Horsepower's website, you know, Mighty Dog Roofing, Blingle Lighting, Heroes Lawn Care, uh, Stand Strong Fencing, like all kind of in this home services category. So so during that process, we were lucky enough to acquire Redbox Plus, which was a roll-off dumpster concept with a portable restroom pad. And so yep. that, and when we did the acquisition there, I think that one had five locations and we ordered 303 years. Um, now, if you met Josh and I in person or hung out with us, we're blue collar. You'll never see us wear a suit and tie. I mean, we'd probably rather turn a wrench or work equipment than sit behind a computer. So home services is, you know, that's where we belong. I mean, we're, that, we're wired that way where we enjoy yep. that type of the business. We have a good understanding of equipment integrating software with home services, the homeowner experience. And you know, that's really, I think, our specialty. But we'll, I think one of the things that we took from Monster Tree Service was, and especially to our horsepower business, is the ability to find great people is something that if a franchisor can do that to help franchisees find better people without exposing themselves to joint employer liability, you'll have a lot more success. And at Horsepower, we invested in our own recruiting company built it as a third party so that there's no joint employer liability that helps franchisees find their people at a fraction of what anybody else could do it for because we own the brand. So it's really a pass-through cost. And that's something that we took from Monster Tree because, you know, when Authority Brands acquired that concept, they got rid of that department entirely because of the liability and the franchisees really suffered. So you guys help franchisees find, like if it's, uh, I don't know, Mighty Dog Roofing or Heroes Lawn Care, you know, you're helping them find the people who actually mow the lawns or do help with the gutter cleaning for Mighty Dog. That kind of well, recruiting. People want you to find a sales rep and, you know, that's a fifty yeah. to 90,000 position. I mean, they'll basically place the ad, write all the write all the copy, vet the candidates, and then decide to narrow it down and then schedule them with the franchisee for, I think, around 1000 or 1500 bucks. Unheard of costs. Well, I think what's interesting is what I've, you know, gathered about Horsepower is the shared services model. So, uh, recruiting is is obviously one kind of 
shared service that franchisees of any brand get access to. You know, I think I saw something about like a marketing agency. Is there any any other like kind of key areas that you guys assist with for any of the franchisees of your brands? I think we have seven or eight. So we have a call center. We have a marketing agency. We have an accounting firm. We have a data analytics company. We have a fleet company that helps acquire equipment. So when a franchisee signs, we acquire equipment at our cost and then pass it through once their funding comes in to get them open faster. But uh, I'll tell you, the shared services was not the plan out of the gate. In, in franchising, you know, I think less than 5% of brands get beyond 100 active territories. Yeah. And we're doing that within a year, sometimes even six months. It's very hard for a third-party vendor to maintain that growth with you. Because what you're asking them to do is invest in your business prior to our growth as one of your new customers. It just doesn't go over very well. And so a lot of times they're playing catch-up with us, which creates this dilution of the franchisees. So for us, we can... We, did, we made investments of capital and people into those shared services to allow our franchisees to have a more consistent level of support throughout the life cycle of the brand. Where when we sign a franchisee, we know that they're going to open in within a 90 to a 150 days. We can start staffing appropriately ahead. And so that's something that we, we essentially had to do to maintain the, the direction of the company. Damn. I mean, it's impressive because it's almost like there's... I mean, for one, you have, what is it, eight franchises under horsepower right now. But yep. then with the shared services, you know, you can, what you guys are like operationally taking on, it's a call center. That's a separate company. The recruiting service, as we talk about, it's a separate business. You said data analytics, accounting. So like these are all businesses that you and Josh stood up or it's like, like for instance, the accounting is not like an outsourced thing uh, where you just have like a mandatory firm. Every one of ours we've acquired started or merged with the company that we own majority share. So our accounting, our CEO is a CPA, our CFO is a CPA. Our, I think our COOs were actually CFOs at one point. So it was it was fairly easy for us to build an accounting company. And it's really, I mean, I tell our franchisees, our, for our beefy commerce business and farm, we pay an accountant more third party than our franchisees do for their businesses. And, and that's just, and, you know, that's a separate thing, obviously, but that's a huge aspect of making sure that you can have a good understanding of your business. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, something I'm doing is uh, helping lead and build Crockett, which is kind of like a financial data aggregation company, but obviously accounting is a big part of it. And so like, I just see it with like some of our clients that we have, brands, and I mean, there's franchisees out there who don't even really have bookkeepers and they just have no clue what's going on in their business. So the fact that, you know, you guys provide that at an affordable rate is uh, an amazing value add. Well, I'll tell you, in franchising, when you grow a brand every year, you have to collect the financials from the franchisees and then you decide what's going to go in your item 19. And I can tell yep. you, if you have 50 to 100 locations and you don't have a uniform set of accounting rules or a company, Every franchisee's chart of accounts is completely different. Most yeah. of the franchisees I've experienced don't even have completed P&Ls in time. And yep. so you, as a franchise, you don't even know how the franchisees are performing from a revenue or a profitability standpoint, and you're never able to get ahead of any of the issues. So one thing as a franchisor, you have to, I don't understand how a franchisor can even operate without that. But then to continue to grow the franchise across the country, it is impossible to have a have a clean item my team for a prospective candidate to make a decision on if this is going to be financially right for them without having that back system support. Not to mention, if you can provide it at a lower cost to the franchisees and they can get it themselves, that's, that's, I mean, that's a win-win for everybody. 
Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it, and everything you're saying and things we've seen at Crockett, yeah, you can never be too early, you know, for that as a franchisor with making sure your data is set up to be standardized. So as you scale, all those headaches you mentioned don't pop up. Now, is your link into like QuickBooks or how's it getting the data? Yeah, yeah. So we are, we have an API that works with uh, 15 different accounting vendors. Obviously, QuickBooks is like the core one that we see like 80% of people seem to use. But uh, we're also talking to a few international brands that use exclusively zero. So that's like probably the second most popular. But yeah, we, you know, Zoho Books, NetSuite, like if there's bigger franchisees, they might be using NetSuite for the brick and mortar, like multi-unit franchisees. Um, but then we also do point of sale data connections, as well as um, banking will be live for the end of the year. Because it's like you're mentioning, understanding how your franchisees are doing. The accounting data is great for that, but it's just not updated as often. We're so like a live banking connection, just so the franchisor can know like, okay, how much runway do some of my franchisees actually have? That's why we decided it was really important to get the banking component too. If you're a newer franchisor, you can't afford you're not going to be able to go out and afford key people to build your own internal dashboard systems. And you can't afford not to either. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good service. I mean, yeah, we're, we're excited, man. It's a, we're, we're new. We're only about six or seven months old, but uh, yeah, it's fun to kind of be a part of it. And I, I do think it's needed in this space. So, I mean, look for you guys, I guess in Redbox plus, I think you said was your first brand, but can you kind of give us some insight? Like how do you, you and Josh and maybe other folks, whoever are part of the team, like, are you guys, incubating these brands? Are you acquiring them and then saying, hey, we're going to you know, buy out that majority share, as you said, like a controlling interest, and then we're going to franchise it for you? Or like, what, how do those conversations go? It's a little bit of both incubation and acquisition. So we look for, so we're a little bit more unique, I think. We have a pretty targeted list of industries that we want to be in. And those industries have to be high average ticket, high volume concepts. Today, our operating system as a franchisor, it does not work with like a mosquito only concept. Or I know there was a, there's a couple of food con- concepts, food truck concepts popping up. The average unit volume for us would not allow for us to use our current operating model. We have to scale it down drastically. So we need concepts yeah. that have average unit volume. Uh, and we there's a couple of things that we need to be. We need to be in home service. We need that service to be needed by all, or we can help recruit labor and help drive. Uh, some of the lead flow from our office here through digital marketing. And so not every concept meets all of those buckets, but when we do identify an industry that we want to be in, like fencing, for an example, we're looking for what I would consider an underwhelming financial performance and not underwhelming in the way you might think about it, but with our capital, we could go out and buy a fencing concept that's doing 10 million annually. And we could make that look nice and sexy and put it in an item 18 and then all these people would come flooding in to look at that brand and be making their first, second, and third year projections on a $10 billion business. It's just, yeah, it doesn't create good expectations. So if you look back to our roofing concept, our founding partner there, did I think 1.2 million in his like seventh year Opal, our first year average unit volume was higher than what we disclosed in the item 19. So it allowed for us yeah. to people in that were making this based on the right expectations that also could scale it beyond what that said. And, our development process, that creates a good handoff to the operations and brand team to where they're coming into it with good expectations, not thinking they're going to do 10 million in the first year. Yeah, that's it's funny you say that because that is something that I've noticed, you know, with, with the newsletter I write that I'll do a Monday and Thursday and Thursday one, I kind of just 
break down two emerging brands that have an item 19 and, you know, look to show some decent return on investment. And I'd say early, early on, you know, it's like July of 2021. And I used to just see an item 19 and be like, oh, wow, this is incredible. But I got a little smarter pretty quick and realized like, okay, wait, if there's, you know, say, you know, there's some home services franchises and this really goes for a lot of industries, not just unique to home services, but there'll be an amazing item 19, but it's on a corporate store that's been open for like, you know, 20, 30 yeah. years or something right. like that. And like, yeah, you cannot as a franchise buyer just think that, you know, if you, especially if you're multiple states away and this brand doesn't even exist in that local market, like you, you cannot expect yourself to replicate that in year one. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And the thing, a location that's doing less in revenue might have less experience and might be less industry, have a little bit less industry knowledge than a large player. But what we found is yes. that we can go to any of the manufacturers or distributors at this point and say, we're getting into this industry. We've done an acquisition. We want to be your partner. If you look at our track record, it became, it took us three years to become one of the largest tree service companies in the country, three years to become one of the largest roll-off companies, three years to become one of the largest insulation, roofing. Do you want to be our partner or not? And that conversation goes much differently now than what it did five years yep. ago. And they have far more industry knowledge and access to technology and what's new than anybody that's operating an individual business. So well, that was a strategy for us where we can leverage our story to bring vendors in to provide additional support to fill gaps. And that, that gaps are getting filled, are getting filled at a much, with a much higher level of what we call intellectual capital. Yeah. So like, I mean, I guess would fencing be an example of that? Because I imagine, right, if I'm a franchisee of Stand Strong, I have to buy the, the, the equipment, the fencing, like the actual materials to put in someone's lawn. So you guys have a negotiated contract, I'd imagine, with a vendor to get better rates for all your franchisees because they're like, okay, we'll take your word horsepower that like you're actually going to set, you know, award a bunch of units and this is going to be a, worth it for us to give you a price discount, even though you're not at that volume yet. I'm working with a number of different both national and regional players within the manufacturing and distribution space. But the, what's interesting is the, you know, the discounts we can get are better. The access and preferred treatment of getting products in times when there are shortages is better. We can squeeze a little bit harder than a local mom and pop cap. You know, on the acquisitions or, and or incubations for the brands, I mean, you know, have you and Josh ever raised money for this? Uh, or is this all just like, you know, I'm sure there was a nice cash package to some degree, right? With the monster tree acquisition that you both experienced. So like, are you just kind of rolling in like and it, personal capital and then just funding everything else with the success you've had? Or uh, how has that gone? Well, there was the exit with Monster Tree Service to Authority Brands. And then yep. we Redbox Plus with 300 locations that we exited to Belfour Franchise Group. So we had two exits prior okay. to Horsepower. So the, the capital is all between Josh and myself. No outside partners, no outside chemical, no outside debt. Uh, and it's considerable. And I mean, people ask, we're chips all in to Horsepower. And uh, one of my favorite mottos is, you know, focus creates wealth and diversification preserves it. You know, we're focused as Josh and I as founders, we got people much smarter than us helping with operations and process and supporting the franchisees. And we're really focused on the beginning part of the process on how do we find, vet, and partner with the best possible franchisees and bring them on with the best expectations to make sure that we're going to have a long, healthy relationship as partners. Yeah. I think uh, two things. One, your quotes are fantastic. Uh <laughs> For folks keeping keeping tabs, it's uh, focus creates wealth and diversification preserves it. And then, secondly, you said earlier, 
Good decisions come from experience. Experience comes from bad decisions. So uh, I may be tweeting those at some point. Nice. North Bullington. At the beginning of all my presentations, it's my favorite. That's awesome. And then secondly, what you said a few times now that I think is also very important is the expectations you set for incoming franchisees. That's not talked about enough because, you know, I used to work for a franchise development company and, you know, we got to a point where we were working with some brokers, but actually this goes for brokers and for franchise sales work. So just something really for franchisors to really think hard about if they're going to partner with a broker and or a FSO, right, is you know, the, the saying that we developed at our FSO was like brokers sell the dream and then the franchisors inherit the nightmare. Cause like the expectations, we were just realizing that sometimes the, they were not set up right. They were coming in with these big, audacious dreams of what their life was going to be like operating the franchise. And then the franchisor had to deal with that when it, it did, the reality didn't match up with it. So it sounds like you guys do a really good job of aligning those expectations, which, you know, you talked about. Five percent of franchises don't get over a hundred locations. You know, selling them and awarding them is one thing, but you guys are actually getting them open. So I'd imagine that expectation alignment is a big part of it. Well, you know, your quote's probably better than the one that what I was told, and that is that you know the FSOs make the bit. You'd help get the help having all the fun making the babies, and the franchisors have to take care of the babies. And I thought, well, that's yeah. probably the way to look at it. But <laughs> there's good brokers and there's good FSOs, and it might, everyone might have the right. Expect or my sure. but what I can tell you for us is that the development is built like an FSO, but under the same umbrella in the same building as our brands, as well as all the shared services. So if a franchise developer says something wrong or brings somebody out with the right expectations, the brand president can walk right over into that office and be like, "What the heck did you, you know? What happened here?" Or vice versa, if they bring a person on that's not getting the support that has been promise to them that's been approved with through the presentations, they can walk right over to the bad president and be like, what's happening here? There's a level of accountability between development and operations, which is always a, you know, is always a back and forth battle, obviously, with any company. But then you mix the shared services with it. If the call center is not working well enough, the brand suffers and the brand walks over to the shared services. Or if the shared services aren't getting good validation, the, the developers walk over. So there's like this uh back and forth accountability with our company that's unusual. And I'll, I'll tell you that, that has created over the last few years, it's created really good expectations where, you know, at Discovery, I tell people, this will be the hardest thing that you have ever done in your entire life. But outside of having children, I can tell you that there is nothing I've ever experienced personally that's more rewarding in growing and owning your own business. And Joshua says, if you work harder than you've ever worked, you're going to have more success than you've ever had. When you own your own business, so I, I really do believe that's true. Amazing. Has anybody ever talked about the first year life cycle of a franchisee or of a business owner? No, not not in great detail. So there's this uh, life cycle that a business owner goes through, and I've seen it. I mean, over a thousand times now in franchising. You know, you're leading up to the business before you launch. It's exciting. You're all in all the time. It's all you can think about. You then open the business, and you have about a 90 day window of honeymoon where you know, you're excited, you know, some of the things that pop up that are issues aren't really that bad, but then something happens where somebody quits, you know, the shit hits the fan, something happens where you're like, why did I do this? And you hate your life for the next six months. And that's where you're regretting every minute of it. And then what we've seen, even from a revenue standpoint is on month about 10 or 12, there's this spike in revenue where 
uh, in home services, for an example, you know, their close ratio has gotten better. Their average ticket's gotten higher. They've eliminated a bad salesperson, replaced them with a better one. They've, they've gotten their, their feet underneath them and they're getting more organized at about that month, 10 or 12. And I tell candidates, oh, when you're talking to franchisees, you have to understand what phase they're in. If they're in the first 90 days, yeah. you're going to have a lot of excitement. If you talk to them at month six through nine, they're probably going to be pretty frustrated. And then in month 10 or 12, you're going to get a really good perspective of what it's like. So you got to make sure you take each one of those with a grain of salt. That's very, uh, I've never heard anyone break it down like that. You know, I've had franchisees in the show and they obviously have said like, you know, hey, there's a learning curve and it's not all sunshine and rainbows from day one. But that's, that's just good. I mean, again, back to the expectations, right? Like for folks that really think about that, you're probably going to have some shit moments. So you might as well just prepare for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's going to, uh, things are going to go wrong and, you know, how you deal with those and how you react is, you know, how, what makes you an effective business owner. Yeah. So in wrapping up here, Zach, you know, do you, Josh and any other leaders at Horsepower, I mean, is there like a, a goal? Is there some type of milestone you're looking at? Like, is it acquire more brands, you know, reach a certain, I don't know, royalty income? Yeah. Well, what's the, do you have a long-term plan or are you guys just having fun and you're just going to keep doing it for as long as you want? Well, a little bit of both. We love doing this. I don't know any other portfolio company where the founders talk to every candidate prior to coming to a discovery day, but our, we follow EOS as a company. So we always have a one, three and a 10 year goal. And right now, our three-year goal is to get to 25 by year 2025, which is a shared service or a franchise brand or concept. And today we're at 15 or 17. I, we just launched a concept, so I need to go back and check my math. But uh, we're on pace where we can comfortably launch a brand a quarter right now, even though we'll probably do three a year. So by the end of the year 2025, we should be pretty darn close to our 2025 goal. That's incredible. And the EOS, I've been hearing more about that. So I feel like I should uh, maybe do some content on what that is, but I take it it's impactful for your organization. We had built, oh, so I went through an actual implementation um, back in 2013 or 14, I think. And it's where somebody comes and helps you implement EOS in your business. And the whole idea behind EOS is your business gets to a point to where it it now manages you versus vice versa. And I can tell you, we were doing over 40 million revenue and I left that meeting so humble thinking, what in the heck have we been doing? We have no idea what we've been doing. And I've now been through two or three actual certified implementations. I soft implemented it for, at Redbox Plus, and we pushed it down to our franchisees as hard as possible. But it, no matter what business that you're operating in, if you don't have a good operating system that leverages performance and accountability, then you're not, you are really missing out. And so we don't get any benefit from EOS, but if you're listening to this, there's a book by Gino Whipping called Traction or Get a Grip. I would highly recommend it. And then for you, brother, if you could have uh, an implementer on uh, to talk about it, it'd be huge. Okay. That's fantastic. Yeah. I've already got some Google searches <laughs> in the works here. So yeah, folks, more more to come on that. I'll make an introduction to oh. a guy that uh, has got a lot of franchise experience. That's an actual implementer that we've worked with before. That's really good. That would be awesome. Would be happy to talk with them. I appreciate that. Amazing, man. Well, uh, look, this is, uh, it's been super cool to learn about. You guys are really, truly one of the, you know, I, I don't know if, I mean, I guess, you know, there's Buzz franchise brands. There's a few others, but your true, like, controlling interest, shared services model, like, it's a true platform play. And it, it's really awesome to see what you guys have done. And I remember reading about you like four years ago or three years ago. So to see the growth and also just hear your plans of like, 
25 by by 2025. I mean, it's it's really impressive. And it just shows like, back to your quote, focus creates wealth and diversification preserves it. Like, I mean, it probably took you, what, a few years to get your first four to five brands. And now we're talking about adding like a hell of a lot more in the next few years. But that's because of the focus and you're able to compound a lot quicker as long as you put in the work over like that first phase, let's call it. We were the first territory in February of 2021. I think we're at 1,500-ish territories right now, I think. Incredible, man. Uh, well, congrats on all the success. And, you know, if, if folks want to follow you or learn more about Horsepower Brands, you know, uh, are there any good spots online to do so? We're on every social platform. You can search Horsepower Brands and you'll be able to find us. Uh, I got to give a shameless uh, plug to Butler Beef, my wife's e-commerce business, to give her a shout out. She has the best beef in franchising. Nice. It's <laughs> Love it. It's amazing. All right. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll plug Butler Beef and uh, Horsepower, folks. If you want franchises or beef, these guys yeah. got you covered. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, good to chat. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. Listen.